Welcome to How We Got Here, UVM Stories, the podcast where we interview alumni from the University of Vermont and share their career stories. Our goal is to unpack how they got from point A to point B in a way that is tangible and practical for our listeners. On today's show, I'm joined by Matt Buder Shapiro, a 2012 graduate of the University of Vermont who majored in community development and applied economics. Matt co-founded MedPilot, a company that eases the billing cycle burden for patients, healthcare providers, and insurance companies, and now he's their chief marketing officer. We talk about his first advertising internship and how that set him on a path to a job on Madison Avenue in New York at a big advertising firm and the transition from working at a full-time position to starting a company taking that from zero to one and beyond. The company now has 40 employees. They've raised millions of dollars. And Matt talks specifically about the marketing efforts that's unique to the healthcare industry that he's doing right now to help take the company to the next level. So I hope you enjoy this. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me. So why don't we start by having you introduce yourself, where you're from, what year you graduated, your major, and then talk a little bit about what you're working on today. So I'm from Shaker Heights, Ohio, which is a suburb outside of Cleveland. And I went to University of Vermont uh, after graduating from uh, school out in Cleveland. And my graduation year was 2012 from college. And post-grad, I jumped into advertising and was able to pick up enough skills and, and fortunately a couple of friends that were entrepreneurial like myself. And, and together we started a business called MedPilot. That's great. And why don't you talk a little bit about what uh, MedPilot does. Sure. So MedPilot's a patient financial engagement platform, and we designed it primarily to solve the major issue that uh, patients and healthcare providers are having with the broken medical billing process. And this is a, a pretty sore subject for both sides. On the patient side, you know, we oftentimes aren't receiving bills because they're coming in statements that are potentially getting mailed to the right or wrong address. We might check our phones a couple hundred times a day. Some of us don't ever check our mailboxes. So, uh, you know, step one is uh, a lot of people are not getting their bills. And, and step two is most of us, I would almost argue, all of us don't understand what our bills really mean. And I can say that pretty emphatically because my father's a doctor and you know, he even has trouble understanding what, what the bills are saying. So um, between not always getting them, not being able to understand them, and then the last point, which is you know the, the true cost uh, problem. Healthcare is extremely expensive for us, especially in the past five plus years of the rise with high deductible health plans. Um, you know the burden has really fallen on us as patients, and so it's really caused a lot of problems for us. It's put you know seventy five million Americans in a tough spot financially. We're not being able to afford them, and then on the other end of the equation, there's healthcare providers who are losing billions of dollars a year. There's these manual snail mail. It's not just bad for our environment. It's also extremely expensive. And it takes a while for them to ever get their money in the door if they do. And, uh, you know, all of those patient problems are really populating in a way that, that causes some serious issues for healthcare providers. So we, we built MedPilot to, to try to save that, you know, process and that relationship. And we're a primarily digital solution to navigate patients through their experience. And in the past four years, we've brought on over a million patients to our platform I'm really excited. Our team's grown to over 40 employees right now. And all of us kind of wake up every day trying to figure out how we can best uh, solve that patient financial experience for all everyone. That's pretty incredible. I mean, healthcare is uh, a hotly debated topic, and it's something that impacts all of us. We can probably all relate to some degree. So it's really amazing to see a University of Vermont alumni impacting and affecting that and 40 people. I mean, that's amazing. So I, I really do want to dive deeper into that. Talk a little bit about your role. You're, you're chief marketing officer, right? You're co-founder and chief marketing officer. Do I have that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So for students, because they love this question, I put this in all my interviews. Would you mind just walking us through a day in the life of a chief marketing officer at, at this 40 person healthcare startup? Yeah. And, and I think one of the exciting parts about the startup life you know, that day in the life changes so much based on the stage of the company. And, you know, as I mentioned, we've been around uh, for a little over four years now. And, you know, for the first couple of years, it was just myself and a couple of people plugging away pretty much in the quote lab, um, trying to scope out the product, try to figure out what our pro business prop was. We really didn't have any structure for a while. And it was just kind of 
full survival mode. How do you find investors? How do you find clients? Um, and then ultimately when you get those things, like how do you recruit people to join your crazy mission? Uh, right. It's all an extremely complicated problem. It, it's evolved a lot now that we have a, a you know, a, a bigger company and we've been one of the faster growing tech companies in, in my hometown of Cleveland. My structure is still a little fluid, but it's gotten a, a bit more set. And you know, primarily what I spend my time doing on a day-to-day basis is trying to really build up a brand that you know, allows for us to be able to talk to you know, a very sophisticated type of customer. And we work with pretty large companies now. And the you know, main reason we got to over a million patients this past year, and we've been you know, about doubling in growth, uh, sometimes 3Xing it year over year. A lot of that is just due to the fact that we have a big brand. People, you know, are willing to take a risk on us. We're not a social media company. It's inherently you're a little skeptical when you're trusting a startup to manage millions of patients and we have billions of dollars on our platform. So a lot of that comes down to how do you build a brand that the people trust. And so that's pretty much what I do day to day is coming up with different ways to do thought leadership, to build out um, a content strategy that supports that. And then also using our, our marketing to assist our sales team, which is you know ultimately driving our future growth. Yeah, that's really great. I, I really want to explore that a lot more. And just to reiterate, you're trying to build trust and you're putting a lot of activity into that. And, and so this is really cool because I think we can also take some of the principles that I think you'll talk about later and apply that for students and alumni for their personal brand because really getting any job, no matter what field, trust is a big factor. So that's something I want to explore. But I'm, I'm interested just to take a step back. So, you know, from Ohio, how did you end up at the University of Vermont? Um, so it's funny, I, I, I was not uh, particularly inclined to, to excel in school in high school. Um, I it wasn't really my top priority. Um, I like to I like to build things. I like to start businesses. I wasn't crazy about reading a textbook. And so yeah. um, I was very fortunate that I had an incredible guidance counselor that was able to look past the fact that <laughs> I was often talking in classes and, and kind of doing my own thing. And she was really the, the driving force and why I went to Vermont. She thought it was a great school that you know was very entrepreneurial. She knows the in and out of Vermont just being one of those states that you know everyone's got a business in and so it's that that kind of mantra and that ethos um is really evident in, in not even just the school but also the state so for me uh it was kind of the perfect school it, it let me grow into myself a little bit it was the first time in my life I, I actually started to care about school in, in a true way I really really enjoyed my classes and so, you know, Vermont kind of centered me in a big, big way that I can never thank them enough for. That's great. What was your major coming into school? So coming into school, I had no idea. Um, and it, it was around sophomore year. Again, thanks to a, a really good counselor that uh, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, we landed on uh, public communication, uh, part of the community development and applied economics uh, program. Very cool. Public communication. So I'm excited about that. I was at a networking event and I talked to a bunch of students and I, I hope that they're listening now because you have quite the story. So I want to go back even a little bit. Just when it comes to entrepreneurship, I mean, what was the first business that you ever started? So I was one of those kids who, you know, when I was five years old, I was charging kids on my block like a penny to throw a stick in my parents' garage. Like I, I've always <laughs> yeah. kind of had that in my blood. Uh, so it was a while before I had like a, a, a true business and not just like a little money-making candy scheme. Um, right, right. A little side hustle. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, I think the first, like a little bit more formalized uh, business I had was in high school where I worked with a couple uh, kids who took really, really good notes and had really good study guides. And we kind of built a little bit of like an education quote, <laughs> business side hustle uh, of working with people um, and kind of teaching them ways to, to study in class and, and kind of, you know, little spark note type um, business. So that that was really like the start of when I realized you can make a lot of money if you, you know, are solving a, a problem that people have. And then, you know, next I, I tried to build what, what I call it a snow swiveler. I went through a 
pretty deep patent process. It was essentially half a snowboard. And then the second part was a rudder like device that your back foot would use to steer. I built the brand. I did the logo design. I, I tried to file for a patent and I ultimately um, was stopped because someone was sitting on this patent that <laughs> put my, my dreams uh, on pause. But uh, that was probably the, the first time I realized that I really, really had the itch. And I, I, I knew even though that was a major setback for me and I was pretty bummed that uh, I'd be back at it pretty soon. That's really interesting. So a cool thing to connect, again, back to the students and alumni, even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, and if you do, you kind of start to see where, where the seeds of that dream came from. Think about solving problems. You're, you're on a job search, or you're trying to figure out what you like and don't like. I mean, just go out there and, and, and do it, right? You can be in high school and you're creating study guides. That's a value to people. And so looking for those things, I think, is, is part of that equation. And it really can be in, in any type of environment. You don't need to be necessarily in an internship or in a, in a job today. There's things that you could do right now. And so you get into school, you, you figure out it's public communications. Talk to me about your experience while you're in school. And I mean, what are you thinking about? Are you starting to think about career? You said you're enjoying your classes. What does that experience look like? Yeah, I think what what really took my career to the next level was my first experience kind of in the corporate world. I I really liked advertising, at least the concept of it. I, I hadn't really dove too deep into it. And I was talking to a, a girl that I had met in one of my classes about how I, I wanted to dive into it in a deeper fashion over summer. And this was um, the summer, of, kind of the end of sophomore year. And she mentioned just out of pure luck that her dad actually had a small marketing firm back where I was from in Cleveland. So I kind of hit the jackpot, pure luck. I, I went in, I interviewed with him. He kind of made a joke about how I had absolutely nothing on my resume and I would need to change that quickly if anyone would hire me. So he he gave me just a pure handout opportunity. And after that internship and that experience, I really turned it up a notch. I knew how much I enjoyed it. I wanted to learn every facet of advertising. I kind of you know, landed on the idea that if I were going to be an entrepreneur or a businessman in the future, um, it was very, very important to either have one of the two main functions and you either have to be really, really good at building or you have to be really good at selling. And I did take some computer science courses, both formally and then informally, and it just wasn't my thing. I, I, I really wanted to make it happen. I was not particularly good at it. So I learned that uh, you know if I can't be building the product, I'd have to get pretty good at selling. And I wanted to build it, some functional skill set. So advertising to me was like the perfect thing to become an expert in so that when I started a company, I could kind of run in that lane. That's really cool. And so you get this experience, you start to dive in. When you say turn it up a notch, what were some of the things that you did to execute on that aspiration? I think that the main thing that, and I, I had to credit my father for this, was when I loved my internship and I knew like from here on out, my number one goal was going to be to land a big time Madison Avenue internship, preferably after you know junior summer so that I'd be positioned you know, post-graduation. Not only did I pick up some, some smaller internships and I did, you know, another one at University of Vermont in athletic marketing, but, but really I think aside from picking up a few internships, the main thing I turned up was just consuming as much information as humanly possible. I, I, this was the first time I started actually reading (laughs) as much as I could. And, you know, I, I started reading the New York times every day. I started, you know, pulling a few different publications I got a Harvard Business uh, Review subscription, a Wall Street Journal, and I just like went into full like, what have I not been paying attention to my whole life that I need to? And you know, it was really painful at first because uh, I didn't get anything that they were talking about. But once you break that habit and you start consuming every day, you know, now it's like second nature. I I would feel like a little lost <laughs> slash something would be missing if I didn't read. So I think that was the main thing that really took it to the next level for me and. and gave me an ability to have better conversations with my coworkers, with my clients, eventually my investors. Um, It's so important to be fully up to date on everything. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's really cool, again, that you, you know, you were interested in entrepreneurship and you knew that because you probably gravitated toward these side hustles as you were growing up. You get to UVM, you're doing the public communications, you have this internship. 
But I, I think for people finding your passion, it's elusive. It can be difficult. It's a topic I like to cover on these episodes. For you, that's such a real example of you you figured out this goal and you started to take actions that you previously haven't. And it's very validating. I think that's a very real way to test. You know, for someone listening, maybe you're thinking, well, I want to be an entrepreneur or I want to be in advertising. Do you have that same spark to go consume information and learn and and aspire to be the best in that field? And again, you might not know exactly what you're interested in. But th- those are ways to tell and and really validate if if that's the thing that you should be doing. When when you go out there and you're reading articles and consuming podcasts, that's an honest way to know yourself. Okay, this is really what I want to do. So you have you have this other internship with UVM Athletic Department. It sounds like what happens next? Did you land that Madison Avenue? When we say Madison Avenue, we're talking about New York City. We're talking about big ad ad agencies. Did you land that the, the summer after junior year? I did, and it was. It was a pretty incredible experience. And it, it was kind of one of those big life moments for me. I, I remember uh, vividly, I applied to a bunch of different internships, obviously. And I only, out of the dozens I applied, got three like in-person interviews, kind of making it pass as initial screenings. And I had them all in one day. I remember uh, <laughs> my dad bought me a suit because he's like, you've been looking like you live in Burlington <laughs> for too long. You got to get yourself together. So I remember I got my suit. I got over to New York City for you know a full day of interviews. And I remember my first interview was at a, a really incredible ad agency um, called Razorfish. And it was pouring rain and I couldn't get a taxi. And <laughs> I just, I showed up 10 minutes late. And it was such a stupid situation. It was over before I started. I walked in so clear. They were not impressed with me. Show up soaking wet, you know, late. It was a disaster. And then my second interview didn't, I didn't bomb it, but I I just, it was so formulaic. I didn't have any interesting answers. I was just kind of saying the like classic, you know, things. If you Googled like what you should say when someone asks you what your biggest weakness is. I, I was just way too formulaic. And it wasn't until my third interview where I was pretty down because I knew I had bombed the first two that I fortunately just kind of came alive and I, I started to have a little bit of confidence. And this was an interview that wasn't just like a one-on-one hour interview. It was actually a six-hour <laughs> experience where I had like three or four interviews with people. And then there was like a project we did. It was, it was a pretty extensive process. And w- one of the... The, actually, I, I got two main feedback uh, when, I, when I landed it. One was that I had experience and they really wanted someone to come in with experience. So it was validating that I had picked up a few internships prior and that, that really made a difference. And the second one was they loved my concept for the application I wanted to build. Like that was the final thing was like build out an application and, uh, that you think would be you know, a great mobile app. And I actually went back to that snow swiveler experience I had. And I told them about how excited I got and how far I took it only to find out that someone had already had a patent and was sitting on it. And that I wanted to build an app that made it easier for people to locate and find concepts so that they could make sure that they weren't building something that already existed or more likely something that a big tech company, you know, has thousands of patents and one of them might infringe it. So I wanted to kind of build something to help us traverse that landscape. And that was ultimately uh, how I made the most out of that snow swiveler experience because they loved it and I was able to get a job. That's so great. And, you know, there's different interview styles that, that can happen and so I, I think it's important not to get discouraged. If you don't do well in one, you might succeed in another. Different context matter. Preparation is key. But good for you for still. I mean, you showed up to Razorfish. You still you still went through the interview process. We've all had stories like that. Like you're the chief marketing officer at a forty person company, and you've had those experiences where hey, may, maybe I did bomb the interview, but you still do well. And so, what what was that internship? Was it just general marketing? Was there anything specific that you were working on? Yeah, it was that. So I ended up landing an a internship at a company called Digitas, which, funny enough, is the like sister agency for Razorfish. And the the specific internship was in the media team. So media being like really buying and planning out 
digital spends. So, you know, everything from like, where do you put your banner ads to your search spends and all of that good stuff. So it was pretty specific. It was was a really fun internship because Digitas manages, you know, it's a lot of huge budgets. The HSCR record for American Express, for some of the largest healthcare companies. And so it was the first and hopefully not last time I got to play with multi, multi multi-million dollar spends. It was really cool. That is, yeah, and that's really great exposure. Were these cold applications or did you have anybody that you reached out to and had any connections at this, at these companies? Fully cold, actually. And I've, cold. I've, that's impressive. I've been working uh, a lot of angles for most of my life, but uh, actually but probably the biggest <laughs> biggest thing I landed, um, at least coming in with not, not that much experience uh, in the real world, um, was actually just purely off of uh, a couple of couple good interview rounds, thankfully. Yeah. And that's so interesting because it, a lot of the advice we give is, you know, you, you really want to network and you want to find people, you know, but the, the doors can open sometimes. And and for you too, I wanted to call, I mean, getting three interviews, that that's impressive. And you get that experience and each one is going to help you learn and, and you get to the next one, you do a little bit better and that transpired for you in, in a day. You came alive and you did really well. So you do this internship during the summer of your junior year, what happens coming back senior year? Like, where's your head at? Are you thinking, okay, full-time post-graduation, I want to be working at Digitas. You want to be doing something different. Like how, how did that look for you? Yeah, no, that, that was my number one goal. And unfortunately, unlike all my friends that were in finance who kind of found out within like a week after their internship that they were going to be coming back and could kick, you know, put their feet up. Uh, Digitas was not giving out offers right away. So I had to go back out and start interviewing again. And I actually was able to land a job, a a very small place on Wall Street called Single Platform that was like a big kind of sales job and actually would have made me a lot more money if I would have performed. But it was primarily, at least at the start, heavy inside sales and nothing against inside sales. I think that it's one of the more important skill sets people have. But for me... I knew I could do sales. I felt very confidently about that. What I really wanted to couple that skill with was, was marketing. And so I, I went through that whole process with them. And I actually even accepted it because I still wasn't hearing back from any marketing jobs. And I wanted just to accept it, which is not good etiquette. And if something else transpired, it would <laughs> I could reassess. I figured it was still like nine months out, 10 months out. And thankfully, not too much longer Past before uh, Digitas reached back out to me, and and I was one of the first uh, people that was brought back full time. That's great. And so, so you have this full time position locked up. You you start at Digitas. I'm assuming probably right after graduation. Talk to me a little bit about that experience, because really, what I want to get to is is how did you realize okay, there, there's a problem out there that I want to solve, and I, I want to start a company around that. So, what did the journey look like to start right after graduation? Yeah, Digitas was one of the greatest experiences I ever had, mostly just because of the people. Obviously, it's a very well-known ad agency, but what makes it so great are just the, the type of people there. And I I just got thrown headfirst into this culture of just absolutely like driving the business forward, but still having fun. I, I built really good relationships with a number of people. And actually, even today, I, I have the head of media on my advisory board for Digitas. I just like everyone knew everyone. And, and just the idea that like me as a you know, recent grad had any kind of relationship with that guy that ran the office is crazy. But as big as the company was, they still had a very flat idea structure and letting you know people kind of excel and what they're best at. And I loved it. I, I learned just as much about just how to handle myself in the real world as I did about actual marketing um, and that right. everything from like how to send out a proper email, how to you know conduct yourself well in a meeting, how to do public speaking in a true fashion. I think that how to build a presentation, like those types of skills were at least as important as anything that was technical. And that's something I can't stress enough and why internships are so important because we don't learn this stuff in school. It's so important and, and nothing you're doing can really work if it's overshadowed by bad etiquette that you <laughs> don't know in corporate culture. And so Digitas was great, but I actually left Digitas not to start a company. I, I left it 
to get into one of my biggest passions. Through all of the reading that my family encouraged me to do, I started to get a lot more interested in politics. And actually, kind of parallel to that, my mom was getting more and more involved in politics in her hometown in Ohio. And so my family had always kind of talked about politics over the dinner table, but it became a lot more real to me. And I was able to actually this time with a UVM connection, um, someone that was about five, six years ahead of me, but I kind of met through a friend of a friend of a friend, got me a job at, at the time, the largest political marketing firm on the Democratic side. And that was kind of my dream job. I ended up running the New York media team. I was able to build media strategies for Elizabeth Warren and Governor Cuomo and Rahm Emanuel. It was a really incredible experience, which I actually thought would last a lot longer. But I spent a lot of time on an Amtrak back and forth between New York and D.C. And that was ultimately what gave me the time to kind of play around with some ideas and talk to a few guys that I knew. And ultimately, (laughs) those conversations led to MedPilot. Yeah, really interesting. A few things I want to dive a little bit deeper. So when you say that you built media plans, could you talk to us about that? Like, again, for a student listening who knows a little bit about marketing, a little bit about advertising, what did, what did that look like? I mean, Elizabeth Warren, Governor Cuomo, like those are big names. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, at a, at a high level, it's it's really, you know, the, the biggest step in the planning process is trying to understand your audience and trying to figure out who those people are, what their characteristics are, and ultimately where they're trying to consume information and, you know, what messages might resonate with them. And once you have that, you know, kind of research and plan down, ultimately you need to get get those ads in the right places. And so in politics, it's heavy email marketing. It's heavy now text message marketing. You know, peer-to-peer is how we kind of get around some of the blast blasting kind of laws you have with a TCPA, the, the regulating body, but, and ultimately just banners and, you know, politics is, is an interesting one, not to say we didn't do this in the big Madison Avenue agency world, but it is so driven by just pure numbers. You have big budgets, but they're extremely lean in terms of what you need to perform on. And, and it's all about just pure, like, signups or get out the vote or whatever, you know, type of politics you're planning for, it's very tangible. You know, we're not just like spending 6 million on a Super Bowl ad. We're trying to get 50,000 signatures or we're trying to get a bunch of people to um, donate $5, you know, and small campaign contributions. And so it was ultimately such a challenging position and experience. It really helped me with MedPilot because it's, you know, with MedPilot, it's all about looking at the characteristics of who we're speaking to and trying to figure out, you know, how we better personalize that engagement to them. Um, and yeah. that really you know, helped provide a lot of the foundation for us. Absolutely. And some of those fundamentals that, that just appear in, and it's not always in marketing, it's obviously very concentrated in marketing, but for students and alumni, when you think about starting to network and you think about having conversations empathize with your audience, empathize with the person you're about to reach out to on LinkedIn, think about, you know, their goals and what they might want to get out of a conversation. I always say people like to talk about themselves, people like to help like, so really, really just think about that. And I do want to call back, you were flowing, I didn't I didn't want to stop you. But the etiquette piece is is really important. And I, I'm curious if you had any formal mentorships uh, while you were at Digitas, or if it happened organically, because I, I think students really get in this place and alumni too, where it's kind of awkward to just say, Hey, do you want to be my mentor? And it's not really defined and it's tough to do, but someone that you can watch and observe to learn, like you just mentioned, how to write an email, how to build a PowerPoint, because that's going to serve you no matter what. And those fundamentals will make you stand out. So just a little curious about that. Did you have any formal mentors? What did that look like? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, formal, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the operative word I, for me. Like there was never a full conversation saying, will you be my mentor? But I absolutely had huge mentors that, you know, to the, to the day I still have relationships with. And I think two in particular, although now I have a lot and I'm very fortunate and some of them have even become formalized and, you know, official advisors of our company. Right. Um, but at Digitas, there was a, a gentleman uh, named Chris Andrew. And Chris was, you know, the head of the media team. He was kind of a larger than life character. And he just invested so much into me, even 
with the, the small position I had. And obviously, you know, it sounds better coming from him, but at least what he's told me is what he saw, you know, in me just giving my all and wanting to learn and being curious and being hungry. That was ultimately what led him to wanting to work with me and help me. And so I think it's important for people to know that, you know, people do like to mentor and you brought up a good point. People like to talk about themselves. They love, they love to give advice, but we also, you know, on the other side of the (laughs) equation, want to make sure we're investing our time, you know, appropriately. And so they're going to be way more interested in investing their time in you if they think you really aren't going to be just doing this for a short amount of time and you're doing it for the right reasons. And all those things are so important. And, you know, I, I took that same lesson into bully pulpit interactive, my next job, um, the head of, the head of the New York office and one of the three partners of the firm, Mark Skidmore. I'm actually, I'm seeing him after we get off this, this podcast, I'm, I'm still extremely close with him. And ultimately like, you know, he saw me staying late. He saw me working hard and he took an interest in me and we got espressos every day and talked, you know, politics and life. And, you know, I, I think those, you know, two mentorships in particular, but I even have you know more than I'm fortunate for have really helped take me to the next level. Absolutely. And, you know, again, when you, you said formal is the operative word, like you're, you're working hard. People are seeing that you're, you're curious. So a lot of the times I do try to get people to talk about the details. How did you find your mentors? How did that build? But you're really a great example of how it usually happens is someone sees that you're committed and you bring up a good point of how am I going to invest my time? Because you're trying to run a company. We all are very busy. We want to make sure people respect the time that we give them and what that looks like in practicality is, you know, you take the advice to heart, but you are committed to the opportunity. You are grateful for that. You are, you know, you're going to look good if, if I recommend you and, and you go speak to somebody else or, you know, you give a presentation, like, are, are you going to be able to fulfill some of those obligations? And so that's great because that they get drawn to you. You're staying late, you're doing these things. And you just mentioned, so you did the, you know, you're working on these political campaigns and you mentioned this next opportunity. How did you fall into that? It it really happened organically. Um, that This one is something that I'm fortunate. I, I had a, an old friend from Vermont just reach out to me and he was kicking around an idea. You know, that idea is light years away from where we are today but with the exception of it still you know was attacking the major problem that we discussed at the beginning our solutions changed just completely but he had this big idea and ultimately you know liked my experience in marketing and complimented his skill set and so we you know this is pre the, (laughs) the name being come up with pre everything right this is not a real company yet but we knew that there was a major market out there that was looking for a better solution. And so we kicked it around for a while. And, and thankfully, we were able to convince some people to, to bet on us early um, as investors. And that gave us the ability to jump onto this full time. We picked up a few developers to help us start building. And you know, this was a really fun experience. I think that first year or so. It's painful in some ways because you realize how many things you messed up and how many things you've right. done differently, which hindsight's pretty real in this field. But for me, it was a really exciting experience. And and I think one thing that you know makes me a lot more optimistic and I think is important for entrepreneurs is you have to set like a very realistic goal. Um, otherwise you're gonna be disappointed because this is not an easy job. This is not something that's guaranteed to go well. So for me, like my goal was to build a company that I thought would at least, at at the very least, teach me something that I wouldn't have learned if I didn't go through this experience. And so, you know, for me, like it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about anything really. It was like, how, how can I like learn something I wouldn't learn from, you know, being an entrepreneur and otherwise I might as well just stay at my real job because at this point I'm right. working at a pretty fancy company. Everything's going well. So <laughs> I had to truly believe that I would get something out of this that I could. And I, I fully you know now more than ever, you know, I've learned so many things outside of marketing. I mean, I've raised money, you know, we've taken in uh, $3.6 million of venture funding. I've learned how to scale a business by, you know, bringing all these employees. We've built a product that a million patients are on. 
we've been in hundreds of publications. We've won awards for Cleveland Tech Startup of the Year. We, we've had a lot of success. And it's kind of funny when I look at the things that have gone well, a lot of them don't really correlate <laughs> to like what my old skill set was. I and mean, that's kind of you know how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be really broadening yourself as much as you can. Yeah. And I'm really interested for how did you get from zero to one? Your friend from Vermont texts you, you're kicking around an idea. I mean, did you start like were you did you keep your full time job and then start working on the side? How did that go? I got really lucky, mostly because I had a good relationship with my company. I I told them pretty early on about MedPilot, and fortunately, they were fully open to let me continue to, to work there. Um, and they essentially said, like, work as much as you can. Obviously, try to do meetings and calls for MedPilot after hours, but like, we totally understand you want to do this. I think there's probably part of them that thought maybe this wasn't going to pan out to be anything. Um, and so yep. um, I can't say that wasn't part of their equation, but in general, I was fortunate to be able to kind of keep a salary for a little bit longer than I, than I probably should have. And ultimately after that first investor, that, that was when I realized I had to go full time on MedPilot. I didn't feel right not putting 110% into something that people had invested in. And so that's when we jumped all full time onto this. We incorporated a company, obviously, and we started building a product. And I think you, you said it earlier, like about, you know, really focusing on just solving a problem. That's everything because your solution is going to change multiple times. There's no company that hasn't pivoted and changed. The only thing that, that shouldn't change is the problem you're solving. And it can evolve and hopefully you're solving more problems than the first one. But ultimately, that's what you need to hone in on. And, and you know, for us, we're still today attacking the same problem. We're just doing it from a much more scalable perspective than day one. Yeah. And so you have the idea, you talk to your company. And again, this is why relationships are so important. This is why making the time to get coffee, to do lunches, to ask people about their lives outside of work is really critical because it does take time to build that relationships and get comfortable enough to say, hey, I'm working on this thing. I mean, what, what were those first steps? Did you put together a narrative of here's the problem that we see, here's the data that highlights this problem, here's the people we talk to? Did you take that to investors and say, we'd like for you to invest so we can build this product? Did you build a minimum viable product and show them? Like, how did you go about doing that? <laughs> it's a great question because we did the former and it wasn't until we did the latter that it actually worked. It turns out besides your mom, nobody really cares about your idea if you don't have some traction. And so we definitely went out, built some PowerPoints and, and tried to raise money. And we were quickly assured that <laughs> we weren't getting pretty much anything. There wasn't a, almost a handout without having some traction. And so, you know, we, we were fortunate to get some money from friends and family who, who were fully taking a flyer on us. Besides them, though, we we learned <laughs> that we had to start building. And so we built that MVP product, which, you know, again, it, it was really not remotely what we have today, but it was enough that we could get some traction on it. We get a couple of dollars flowing through it of revenue. Um, and ultimately, it's, it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg. Like to get investors, you need to get some traction. And for us to get traction, it was getting a healthcare provider to trust us. But for us to be able to get a healthcare provider to let us, you know, process their payments, we needed to have enough money to build that product. So it's, yeah. it's a really tough dilemma that all, you know, entrepreneurs go through. And it's a little bit of give and take. And for us, we just got lucky. I mean, I, I knew someone else that was an entrepreneur through uh, kind of like an incubator um, type program that, that we had been working out of. And I kind of asked him how he got his first step. And he was nice enough to introduced me to their pilot client. And so we talked to a guy that was fully willing to let it ride with us. And, you know, he, he loved building stuff and he thought it was cool that we were going for it. And, you know, we just found the ideal customer, someone that, you know, didn't have too high expectations and was willing to kind of get on this journey with us, which was ultimately what led us to being able to raise more money and, and do this at a bigger scale. That's so fascinating. Those first movers are, are so important. Did you have to... so? Did you fund it yourself when you built this MVP and got this for first client? Indirectly, the, the founding team did just by none of us pulling a salary. 
we put in, you know, we definitely also put in some personal capital, but a lot of it was really just from, you know, we didn't pull salaries for a very long time. Um, yeah. To this day, I'm taking a very small salary and all of us are, um, you know, it's it, at the end of the day, you, you need to put money, the limited amount of money where, where it's going to make the most impact. And, yeah. um, you know, that's obviously why you, you fully have to believe in the dream because you're not pulling a normal salary for a very long time. Maybe never. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is really important. I, I, I'm glad that we're talking about this because people listening, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, it, it's definitely an amazing journey. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot of people who want to do it, but it is, a, it's a very real, it's a lifestyle choice. There's a lot of commitments. There's sacrifices that you have to make to get to that next level. Cause one of the things I was going to talk about or, or try to get out is, you know, okay, so you've got a salary today. Like, how did you get there? But you're even saying, hey, now I'm we're still trying to put this back in into the business to make sure that it grows. So there's some very real sacrifices that you have to make. So, you know, really tasting it and, and getting the experience and knowing what comes with it is very important to figure out, hey, is this truly something I want to do? Because entrepreneurship is very trendy. Uh, but, you know, you, you want to have realistic expectations about what's going to happen. And interestingly enough, and I keep hearing this, you keep saying, hey, you know, hey, we got lucky, hey, which obviously luck that there's always some some play there but you know you're working hard there's a quote the harder that you work the luckier that you get you have these connections the the skill set that i think you have the ability to sell the energy that you bring probably around this idea all correlates to that so when people are listening and thinking okay this is pure luck it's not it's not pure luck there's a lot of hard work there's a vision, there's a goal, there's, you know, we've talked about your journey now, a few internships working, you know, at, at some big agencies, managing big budgets, doing the political campaigns. I think that that all, all contributes to it. And so here you are today, CMO, 40 person company. Can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned the activities that you're doing to build trust, to get the brand out there, especially in a world where you have channels like TikTok that are going like crazy and Twitter and Instagram and that landscape is changing. I mean, how are you managing all of that? For for us, um, it, it's really just like sticking to what we're best at. And, you know, we're not the sexiest company. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, we don't have the benefit of being able to grow from a social standpoint that a company that's a little bit, you know, cooler or trendier can do. Um, you know, we're in healthcare and we're in the, we're on the financial side of healthcare even. Um, so for us, really, all we can do is try to ride these massive media, you know, waves of topics around our industry. And, you know, for us, it's such a major pain point for, for both sides that there is a lot of conversation around this, more on the patient side, but there's still a lot of talk on the healthcare provider side because, you know, everyone's losing right now. And so for us, like, how do we insert ourselves in those conversations is ultimately my number one goal. And that's why press has been so key for us. I have a relationship with a lot of different reporters of just, you know, trading back and forth, you know, information. And it's not always like, hey, like, can you feature me in an article? It's usually about 10 to 15 back and forth emails about different things going on and trading ideas and maybe getting a drink and you know, ultimately, maybe it turns into an article, maybe it doesn't, you know, it's, you, yeah. you can't look at a transactional. But for us, that's really built our business in a real way. I mean, we've, we've really, you know, like our press and coverage has just been amazing. I've been on TV multiple times. We've done, you know, 12 speaking opportunities in the past year at some pretty big events. All of that is just trying to hustle and trying to be useful to people. And, a lot of that just comes down to like making sure you have something to say. <laughs> like if you have something yeah. interesting to say, they might want to talk to you. And so right. um, that's ultimately my job. You know, it's, it's, it's just leaning heavy on that. And then, you know, we do a lot of stuff to support that. We obviously have a pretty comprehensive email program. We do a lot of white papers and, you know, infographics and things to help educate our audience. But, but really just comes back to like, how do we insert ourselves in these conversations that are happening? We're not, yeah. big, we're not big enough to start the convo, but, but we're adding right. enough to jump in. Yeah. So th this is great. This is very important. Uh, I think I look at LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a very undervalued content channel. I think there's a lot of people consuming, but not a lot of people doing what you just said, jumping in. If you're a student, you're an alumni, you're an entrepreneur, one of the things that you can do is 
go on LinkedIn, go on Twitter, find the people who are talking about the topic that you're passionate about, that you know something about, that you're interested in, and comment, ask a question, give an opinion. You'll find that people will interact with you. You'll get more visibility to your profile. You'll start to sharpen some of those communication skills, being able to articulate points and and things like that. And you start to build your personal brand, but then you also start to figure out how might I do this with a company or how might I do this with a side hustle? I'm doing this, you know, for the podcast. How might you do it for the company that you founded? And just get in there and be part of the conversation. You might not be the thought leader yet. That's okay. That takes time. But being in the conversation and having something to say can be really effective. And it's something that everybody could start if you're listening to this now get a LinkedIn, make sure you have a picture and, and you know, your all of the information, make sure you fill that profile out, but start engaging with a community. You know, I, I think that that's a really, really quick way to start gaining some traction and, and building some relationships and just seeing what's trending and what people are talking about. Very and so that this is, this is really fascinating. Well is your company, <laughs> what's that? Very well said. And uh, honestly, I think people remembering that don't just think that you need to be the one spurting out this incredible information. There's two sides of every conversation and you can make just as much of an impact if you're asking the right questions. And so, you know, don't, don't think you need to be the thought leader. You just, you know, find the right smart people and ask them the right questions and obviously, you know, be diligent, listen to what they're saying and, you know, that'll make them feel good. And that, that goes a really long way. I, I I couldn't agree more. And and it's it's free. It's something you can do for free and you and you can start doing it now. And you know, so one thing I wanted to ask is is this company based in Ohio? It is. About uh almost two years ago, um we relocated from New York to, to Cleveland. We, we were facing some growth and there were about five of us in New York and we moved to Cleveland and right away we went up to twenty and then now up to forty. And, you know, ultimately Cleveland just was a major reason for that growth. It's, it's been one of the bigger decisions we've made. Yeah. And, and kind of to start to wrap this up and I want to get your perspective on any other advice that that you want to offer for students or alumni who are listening to this, but I'm just really curious, how do you handle the pressure of being a co-founder, being in, you're, you're in charge of a very important aspect of this company and now you have 40 people. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, it gets, it's, it's stressful. <laughs> I think one of the common misconceptions that even I make, so I, I'm assuming a lot of people do, is thinking, it, you know, the next step gets easier. You know, all you can think about when you start a company is like, oh, if we just had some money. And then when you have money, it's like, oh, if we just had more people. And then if you have more people, it's like, oh, if we just had more clients. And like pretty soon you wake up and you have all those things. And you realize if anything, you need more of all those things because <laughs> it's right. not like we don't continually need to hire people and continually need to raise money. Um, but on top of that, you know, to your point, it gets a lot more stressful when it's not just a few of us that would lose if things go badly, but now it's, you know, my 40 employees, it's um, millions of dollars of investment. It's also, you know, the fact that, you know, we've, been fortunate to become a, a bigger conversation in the Cleveland tech, you know, scene. People yeah. promoting us a lot. We now have a responsibility where we have to deliver. Otherwise, that that would not look good for for my hometown. And so, you know, those stresses are real. I think it's it's helpful to know, like, I'm not in this alone. Like, I, I do have business partners and and executives and people that are really putting you know just as much as me into this business. So it's helpful. It's it's not like <laughs> I'm in this by myself. And secondly, you know, to go back to what I said a little bit ago, like you just have to set the right goals. Um, you know, if I thought the only win was us IPOing or selling for a billion dollars, I would be pretty stressed right now. But but when I know that you know every day we're growing and every day, even when things go wrong, we're learning quickly and we're making you know updates and changes. Uh, I think that de-stresses it a lot, knowing that, you know, we really are accomplishing a lot of things that we set out to do and, and we're, we're making big updates. And ultimately we're growing, you know, a company in, in my hometown, which, you know, feels really, really good and something we're all very proud of. That's great. I mean, that's really impressive. 
And you really can take that expectation setting, not just for a startup, not just for a growing company, but also for the folks who are listening for yourselves and, and give yourselves, you know, it's very easy to open up LinkedIn and see a 21 year old CEO and who's making millions of dollars a month. And everybody seems to be drop shipping on Amazon and things like that. But just set some realistic goals for yourself and really in, enjoy those when you hit them, because sometimes it can be about getting to the next thing, getting to the next thing. But you know, what I'm getting from you is that by your ability to do that has allowed you to ground yourself and be in the moment with the successes that you're seeing now and, you know, be cautiously optimistic. And obviously you want to be aggressive and grow. And, but I think that that probably keeps you sane. And so, so, so this is really great. I'm, I'm excited to see how the, how the story develops a university of Vermont alum, you know, starting a business, you know, helping with healthcare, which is kind of a mess. You know, you're back in your hometown. Is there anything that before we leave here today that you, you want to say to students or alumni who might be listening? Um, I, I think it's just really, really important to, to make sure that you're constantly giving as much as you can to those around you. It's very tempting to, uh, you know, ask a lot of people for help and advice and for favors and for, you know, money or, or connections. Um, you have to really be honest with yourself. Like, are you giving that back? Um, I think that's such an important part of the equation. I think that it's not even just like, uh, Oh, like <laughs> it'll make you feel good. Like it's, it's really good business practice because at the end of the day, if you're just someone who takes and takes and takes it a hundred percent will come back to you. It's, it's part yeah. of the brand and it's a small community. And so, I mean, I'm constantly trying to help people as much as I can because I know how much people have helped me along the way. And, you know, for me, a lot of it was, you know, getting the right mentors and people giving me great advice. And so I definitely want to pay that back. So, I mean, definitely if anyone yeah. needs any help, um, you can reach me at Matt at medpilot.com. I love talking to people that are, that are hungry and looking to do things. And I really mean that when I say that, yeah, it's, it's really great to pay forward. I appreciate that. If you've made it this far on the podcast and this is something that interests you, reach out and, even more so, I mean, when it goes to giving back, you know, Matt's obviously trying to spread the word about his company. Go take a look at the content that that he's creating. Go leave a comment. Go share it because those those things they really matter. And speaking of helping people, I, I appreciate you. I know that you're very busy, and you know, giving me nearly an hour of your time and giving back to students, I think that's really important. And you know, for all of us, that's just such good advice. Don't don't take 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 take. Try to find ways to give and simple ways to give really is go like some of the content that you've written that helps get the word out. And so I think that that's really important. So Matt, such a great conversation. So many good things here. I definitely want to follow up with you in the future to see the growth and, and you know, how things are going with you. But, um, you know, again, really great talk and, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Jonathan. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We have plenty more episodes coming. So make sure to subscribe, share with a friend and leave a review. Have a great day.